back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tony Bruinavi Cooper. Hey, guys. Hey, Hannah. Hello. Hello. All right. So I'll tell you both. I have recently found out that there are people who listen to our podcast while they're at the gym working out. And this episode is going to be perfect for those people. Um, So it's going to be a fun episode tonight. If you've ever lifted weights at the gym or are currently lifting weights at the gym as you listen, you may recall that in the hours or days after your workout, your muscles started to grow. So not everyone's muscles grow to the same extent or degree after a workout, but it's a, a pretty standard response to resistance training. And so on this episode, we are going to break down, literally, exactly why lifting weights would cause your muscles to grow. Avi, tell us more. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a particularly muscle-bound person myself, but you know, I do remember the weekend that my wife and I got married. We got married in Columbus, Ohio, and it happened to be the Arnold Sports Festival that weekend as well. And it's sort of if you've never heard, have either of you heard of the Arnold Sports Festival? Absolutely. Like the yeah. Arnold? <laughs> Yeah, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So it's sort of like a giant fitness expo. And the city was like just filled with all these ripped bodybuilders like all over the place, like literally just everywhere. And, you know, thousands and thousands of bodybuilders. And it's like, but why would weightlifting cause someone's muscles to grow and, exp- and expand to such a degree as, 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 you know, as for those individuals? You know, you wouldn't necessarily assume that that's would happen by lifting weights. If you didn't already know that it does, like, you know, we all do, we all know that that's what can occur and does occur, but um, you might not necessarily assume that that's what would happen. And I do think this is one of those things that we, I just take for granted. I lift weights, my muscles will get bigger. And I absolutely have no clue why they do now that you say it. So um, I think before we get into the answer, we probably need to learn or relearn a little bit more about skeletal muscle physiology. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so skeletal muscles are those muscles that we can voluntarily control and they allow us to move in space. And, you know, they're actually pretty complicated. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, they have quite a task. Without muscles, right, we wouldn't be able to do anything at all, right? We wouldn't be able to wave hello, goodbye, jump, blink, bend, throw. We wouldn't be able to do any of that. Like, all movement requires the actions of muscles. And what actually has to happen is that muscles have to contract or shorten to lead to movement. And so the fundamental unit of contraction is called the, something called the sarcomere. And so sarcomeres are, are they're sort of like the smallest unit of action in a muscle that ultimately leads to it contracting. And they're composed of two types of proteins called actin and myosin. And with the help of ATP, myosin slides along actin. And this sliding leads to the shortening of the sarcomere. And when lots and lots and lots of sarcomeres in a muscle shorten together, that's what we see as a contraction. And actually, sort of as an aside, when I look at a sarcomere histologically, I sort of see crisscross pattern sort of looks tar- like a tartan pattern to me. That's just something that occurred to me when I looked at muscles, you know, back <laughs> in histology. But I don't know. I don't know why I see that, but I do. I see pre-med studying. <laughs> I'll never be able to unsee it. No. (laughs) Okay. So that is what happens at the microscopic protein level when muscles contract. Sarcomeres are the key component there. What about the overall sort of structure of skeletal muscles on the big picture? Right. So if you take those sarcomeres and you line them up in parallel, and then you sort of overlap them with each other, bunch them up together, then you get something called a myofibril. And if you pack those myofibrils together then you get something called a muscle fiber. And muscle fibers are bunched together in structures called fascicles. (laughs) And if you line up those fascicles together, that is actually what composes and comprises a skeletal muscle. 
it's sort of like an onion. You're peeling back all these layers, but if you work your way up, that's how you get to a full-fledged muscle. All right, so so what's causing the full-fledged muscle to grow after weightlifting or exercising in general? Right? Is it like sarcomere gets bigger, myofibril gets bigger, fascicle? Like where's all the action? Yeah, I mean, did either of you have any assumptions about what's going on here before we sort of dove into this topic? I always thought that the red painful swelling soreness of a muscle after like a really heavy workout was like, you know, every physiologic phenomenon I don't understand, I typically attribute to osmosis. So I always thought like maybe muscle breakdown, there's like more solute and then like it swells. And so that's why like in the 15 minutes or something after a workout, that was what my hand wavy explanation was. I never actually thought much about the initial growth like immediately after a workout because i don't know that i've ever actually noticed it myself i've more thought like you know why does someone like why does Arnold schwarzenegger get bigger over time and i don't know i guess i always just assumed it happened and it was magic and it was quite wonderful but (laughs) i really had no idea yeah and you know i guess i was sort of somewhere in between right i didn't think about it that much but i sort of assumed it was something like hannah but like you know like hannah said with sort of, you know, weightlifting, damaging muscle fibers, sort of maybe hypertrophy, maybe some blood flow in there, not really sure. But, you know, it turns out that there are actually three phases to muscle growth after exercise, and they play out and occur over different timescales. So first is the muscle pump, which is not a pun. (laughs) You'd think it was a pun, but it's not. And so this muscle pump, it caught, so there's an immediate swelling right after working out. And that's, that's the muscle pump. The second is an inflammatory reaction, which causes delayed swelling over hours to days. And the third is hypertrophy, which occurs over, over days. So there are, you know, there are sort of two contributors to the swelling of muscles, but then ultimately one main mechanism of growth and size of muscle over time, and that's the hypertrophy. Got it. Okay. So three phases right immediately after, then inflammation for a couple of hours or days, and then hypertrophy, which is like the days later piece. Let's break it down. Can you tell us about the immediate swelling piece? I'm suspecting that I may have been wrong and just blaming osmosis. So, you know, there is some immediate swelling of muscles within um, minutes of exercise. So any guesses as to like what's going on there? Well, if it's within minutes, I I wonder if it has to do with increased sort of shunting of blood to these muscles, just basically increased blood flow. Yeah, you know, exactly. And perhaps not surprisingly, blood flow to exercising muscle um, increases dramatically to meet the metabolic demands of exercise. The technical term for this is the aptly named exercise hyperemia. So, you know, one study in rat legs found that after running, after the rats ran, blood flow increased to their muscles threefold compared to just like hooking it up to some like an electrical stimulus that made it twitch. So, Clearly, like exercising leads to um, to increased blood flow and so-called the exercise hyperemia. So is that just increased cardiac output or is there a greater fraction of blood flow that's going to the to the muscles? You know, cardiac output, it does certainly increase with exercise, but not to this degree, right? You know, so more blood is clearly making its way to the muscles themselves. And it turns out that there's a response to exercise in the muscles called the muscle pump. And so amazingly, there's a pump-like action that occurs as muscles contract during exercise. So if you imagine a vein sort of running through the calf muscle, through the gastrocnemius, like what do you think is going to occur as the muscle around that vein contracts? It will get squeezed. 
Yeah, exactly. True. So, you know, the muscle around the vein squeezes and pinches it as the contracting muscle fibers, they increase the interstitial pressure around the vein. This actually pushes blood out of the vein initially back toward the heart. And it also causes the valves of the vein to close, which prevents inflow of blood into the vein. But then you get a rebound phenomenon when the muscle relaxes. And so the valve opens, more blood gets drawn in, and you get that exercise hyperemia. And then when the muscle squeezes again, inflow decreases again. And then with relaxation, more hyperemia. So this is an effect. It's a pump. um, And it leads to this sort of immediate swelling that occurs, you know, like right after completing um, a workout. It's going to be so frustrating for me next time I run and I'm going to be like muscle pump, muscle pump, muscle pump. Like every – just because it's – LV of the periphery. (laughs) Exactly. But this does make a lot of sense, what you're describing, right? The changes that occur with muscle contraction and relaxation. But this is only getting us part of the way to the answer, right? It, it maybe helps us to understand the immediate swelling. But there's also this, this additional growth in muscle size that occurs in the days after exercise when the muscle pump is hopefully no longer active. So what's going on there? Yeah, you know, delayed swelling, it happens over hours to days. And it's not immediate, but it happens like pretty soon after exercise. And, you know, maybe not surprisingly, the load from weightlifting causes micro damage to sarcomeres, basically from the strain that's induced by having to resist gravity to like lift the weight. And so this resistance pulls actin and myosin apart as the muscle forcefully contracts. So you can almost picture like a web of rubber bands glued together and then sort of forcefully pulling those bands apart, right? Some of them are going to snap. And this snapping is called myotrauma, and it happens every time you do any type of resistance training. So I guess we should be like, sorry, sarcomeres, we're sort of harming them. It's for their own benefit. No pain, no gain. It's for the greater good. So, okay. So I think this is where I my like kind of convoluted theory of osmosis came in, where I was like, oh, that must release something that then brings in fluid. Is that what happens? Or is there some other component of the myotrauma and the sarcomere damage that leads to swelling? Is it like spraining your ankle and then that swells up? You know, honestly, it sort of is. I think it's a good analogy, though we don't really think about the swelling of muscles after exercise as a form of injury per se. But if you zoom in on the sort of microscopic cellular level, it sort of is, right? When myotrauma occurs, that releases molecular mediators called damps or damage-associated molecular patterns. And damps are sort of like signal flares for the immune system, right? So maybe they're like a, a kind of immune system bat signal maybe, right? But you know, if you combine the bat signal with a GPS pin, I guess, that's sort of what a damp is. You know, damps tell the immune system like exactly where to go and recruit macrophages and other leukocytes like neutrophils into the muscle to deal with the damage to these sarcomeres. And so you get prostaglandin release that leads to vasodilation. The capillaries start to leak. That's sort of your osmosis there. And, you know, like before you know it, you've got a swollen muscle or rather, you know, one that now has a new reason to swell after the muscle pump action has now ended. And before we recap all that, we want to pause for a quick word about this episode sponsor, Green Chef. Green Chef is a meal kit company whose goal is to make eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. One of the most challenging things about being a resident sometimes is when you're in a full day of primary care clinic and you are spending all day counseling people on how to eat healthier and all these strategies and smart goals to try and improve their health by eating better. And then you're so busy and stressed during lunchtime that you just eat a a protein bar and then get back to work. 
And so one of the things that I really liked about Green Chef, I made one of their 10-minute lunches. And so each week they give you two convenient, nutritious lunch recipes that you can make actually in 10 minutes. I'm kind of slow, so it took me about 15, but with pretty minimal cooking and was just amazing for being on the go and in the middle of a busy primary care day. You know, and I took advantage of the dinner meal plan, and I got to say all the recipes I made were delicious easy to make. Uh, I think my favorite was the chicken with garlic charred rice. It was awesome. Um, And Green Chef can reduce your food waste by up to 38% versus grocery shopping. And that was kind of my experience. And Green Chef offers options for every lifestyle, keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, and even gluten-free. So go to greenchef.com slash curious60 and use code curious60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash curious60 and use code curious60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. And now back to the episode. All right, so I, th- I think we've covered pretty well the first two mechanisms for muscle swelling. But there's a third one that was kind of the one I was most interested in, which is you know, why is there this permanent growth that occurs sort of long after the exercise has stopped? Right, you know, and remembering, you know, like swelling occurs over hours and maybe, you know, a day or two. But the actual growth of the muscle, it takes days to begin. And, you know, there, there was this interesting, you know, study from 1985 in the Journal of Applied Physiology where they recruited 12 participants to do 12 weeks of intense weight training. And at the end of this training period, the researchers did muscle biopsies and they found that the total surface area of the muscle fibers had grown, but there hadn't been any increase in the number of fibers. So this sort of settled this hyperplasia or hypertrophy question. It wasn't really hyperplasia. It was hypertrophy. There, the muscles were in, the fibers were increasing in size. So why would muscle fibers hypertrophy as a result of exercising? I mean, the swelling, we've sort of talked about why that makes sense. Inflammation after myotrauma, that makes sense. But, you know, this one doesn't seem quite as intuitive. I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, we we take it for granted that it occurs, I think, but it's not as intuitive as the swelling mechanisms we've already discussed, like you said. But the the answer still relates to myotrauma. And, you know, after sarcomeres are damaged by weightlifting, those muscle fibers, they grow in size and they hypertrophy as a result of the response to that damage. So it makes sense that the fiber damage would trigger some sort of repair mechanism. But why would that cause the muscles to actually grow in size to hypertrophy? You might not expect, right, that one would follow from the other. We already discussed that, you know, that, that weightlifting and other forms of resistance exercise, they, you know, they lead to myotrauma and recruitment of macrophages. And it turns out that those macrophages that stream into the muscle, they also activate a particular type of muscle stem cell called a satellite cell. Hmm. Tell us more. What are satellite cells? You know, so satellite cells, they're stem cells that live in muscle, but they're normally in a quiescent state. So they're not actively dividing. You know, if you go back to cell biology, that's what we, that's what you call the G0 state where their cells are really not actively dividing in the cell cycle. It's sort of like the off ramp, you know, and you're like out of the cycle. But when those macrophages march into the damaged muscle, they secrete inflammatory cytokines like IL-6. And IL-6 and sort of other forms of circulating growth factors, they act as wake-up signals to the satellite cells and they re-enter the cell cycle. And they leave that quiescent G0 state. I just have to acknowledge that you've mentioned histology and cell biology, two of the courses I did the worst in. So there's a lot of trauma for me right now. We're talking about um, myotrauma. I mean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, this is bringing me back, yeah. Avi. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but this, you're also introducing things I've never heard of, like satellite cells. That That is a new type of cell for me. It's fun. So you got to tell us what happens when these satellite cells wake up. Yeah. So when these satellite cells, you know, they, they come out of quiescence, there seems to be three phases that occur, activation, proliferation, and differentiation. So we've already covered activation. That's really what sort of IL-6 was doing. Then the activated satellite cells, they start to divide. And after dividing, they begin to differentiate and they actually begin to fuse with each other into these tube-like structures called, appropriately, myotubes. And then um, they also start fusing with existing myocytes or muscle cells. So they start sort of fusing with each other, fuse into tubes. They fuse with existing myocytes. Those myotubes accumulate within the damaged myofibrils and the existing myocytes grow in size. All of these sort of structures start secreting more actin and myosin. And, you know, obviously like the myocytes, like everything, they're going to start to grow and get bigger and the muscles get stronger. And that's sort of, that's how it gets going. All right. So myotrauma, like damage, that brings in macrophages, which bring in satellite cells, which are sort of these muscle stem cells that then form a bunch of myotubes and heal the area and in the process make it larger and more swole. Am I? Yeah, sort of like as a consequence of the process. Yeah. Awesome. The complexity of the skeletal muscle. Like I just, I, I, don't, I never realized there was so much going on. Although it is quite complicated, we can still sort of distill it down to muscles get bigger as a result of weightlifting and weight training for two reasons. There's increased blood flow in the short term and repair of myotrauma in the long term. And for some, uh, the use of anabolic steroids like testosterone. So what are those doing? Are those affecting any of these mechanisms that we've described? I mean, there's a reason that like the use of anabolic steroids is banned in competitive sports and it's considered doping, right? I mean, there are multiple ways in which steroids can enhance the building of muscle mass. But maybe the two that are most relevant for our discussion here are that they actually enhance proliferation and differentiation of satellite cells. So once those satellite cells are activated with exposure to anabolic steroids, they're going to have enhanced proliferation and differentiation. And all of that's going to accelerate muscle growth, increase strength. And so that's why, um, and it's actually the same for growth hormone, has similar effects on this process with the satellite cells. So that's why these are abandoned sports. So what about astronauts? So astronauts have a ton of muscle atrophy in space. Is that kind of the opposite? Is there some dysfunction of satellite cells in space? Yeah, you know, great question. And honestly, sort of, right? Astronauts, well, they, they do experience fairly significant loss of muscle mass during space, space flight. I found some data from NASA that when astronauts spend five to 11 days in space, they lose up to 20% of their muscle, which is a, a ton for like basically like a week or so in space. And you're losing like a fifth of your muscle mass. And so it's all related to gravity or the near absence of it in space, right? So on Earth, we're constantly having to resist the effects of gravity to move, to lift things. That's what our muscles do. But in space, the astronauts don't have to resist gravity at all to do anything. So their muscles, they do the opposite of hypertrophy. They atrophy and they shrink, they get weaker. And you know, this actually has implications beyond just being significantly, you know, just weaker when one returns back to Earth. Apparently, some emergency reentry procedures can be quite strenuous for the astronauts to do. And I guess, you know, like a weakened astronaut, they're actually at risk of not being able to complete those tasks. So astronauts, they spend over two hours a day exercising in space just to try to counteract this atrophy. Do you know, I, I think the same thing is true of osteoporosis for astronauts because there's like just no strain to provoke the bone to break and reform. 
Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, we're we're sort of we're built to exist in gravity. Yeah. So they have time to go to the gym for two hours a day while they're an astronaut in space, and I can't find ten minutes to go to the gym. That's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> two hours a day. That they're not messing around. It's not like it's rocket science time. <laughs> no. All right, Avi, hit us with some take home points. So you know, immediate swelling of muscles after weightlifting occurs due to increased blood flow from the muscle pump, while delayed post-exercise muscle swelling over hours to days results from inflammatory response to myotrauma. But true muscle hypertrophy is caused by a tissue repair response that leads to satellite cell activation out of quiescence, which then uh, causes new actin and myosin production and increased myofibril size. That's awesome. Thanks, Avi. Well, that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thanks, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. Physicians and other healthcare professionals can earn CME and MLC credit via VCU Health just for listening to this episode. For more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash CuriousClinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been The Curious Clinicians. Curious Clinicians.